Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Wow, y'all are awake. Awesome. Welcome. So, uh, last week, I had the privilege of sharing with you from my heart, and I thought I would share the same passage this week to see if anybody paid attention, and my counsel said no, and then it was printed in the bulletin what I'm really preaching, so then that would just make me a liar, so I can't do that. Um, I reviewed what I preached and how I preached it. I've got a bunch of notes. I'm going to correct little things. Um, but my, my toughest critic is not myself. And my loving wife, who is a speech therapist, said, you started to have a lateral lisp. And I went, thank you, honey. I appreciate it. But she wasn't being ugly. What happens is, is with braces, which I got over the Christmas holidays... It changes the way I speak, and I notice that, and I can feel that. And, and I told her, actually, I can tell you exactly when in the sermon I started that list. I can tell when it happened. I was getting tired. I needed a drink of water, and I didn't have it, and I just got lazy. So I drank a whole bottle of water before I came on stage. So there may be a five-minute intermission in ten minutes. <laughs> but we got this. Because, see, I have glasses. I have hearing aids. I have braces. And the day after I got braces, I got a zit on my nose. <laughs> yeah, don't be jealous of Jana. I'm a catch. <sighs> Please put your tongue in your cheek and just keep it there. All right. So if you will turn to Philippians 1, we're going to be looking at the church at Philippi today. This is one of my favorite passages. And yes, I almost say that every time I, I speak on the Word of God because, you know, if I'm sharing from... What God is showing me in scripture, it's hit me before I'm giving it to you. And so this is one of these days where I read the text and I'm thinking, dang, he said that? Okay, I got to rethink some stuff. And so this is an amazing church. And, and to get the concept of this church, if you don't turn there, but if you go look at Acts 16, you see the relationship of the church with Paul get established. Lydia, a seller of purple garments, a demon-possessed fortune teller girl who is radically saved by Christ and had the demons cast out. And then even Paul's jailer are the first members of this church. So you've got a foreign entrepreneur, you've got a slave girl, and you've got a Roman guard as the basis of the church. Yeah, sure, they had lots of things in common, right? So that's the church that was established. And so then... During his missionary journeys, I'm sure he visited there several times. We know this letter was written about 60, 62 AD, and this is while he's in prison in Rome. So if you'll turn to Philippians 1, we're going to read the first 11 verses, and we're going to break it down today. Let's start with verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you making all my prayer with joy, because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. 
And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as Paul writes this letter to Philippi, one of the things that jumps out to me is verse 8. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What would First Louisville look like? If we yearn for one another with all affection of Christ. This is not what he wrote to the church at Corinth. This is not what he wrote to the church at Galatia. It's only Philippi that he has this connection. He encouraged the church at Philippi to stand firm even in the face of frightening opposition in a world around them. And he's learning to be content in all situations even when it is desperately, painstakingly bleak. So in verses 3 through 6, we see this this theme in Paul that says, I am confident in Christ. He's under arrest. He's in change. It's probably home arrest, but he's still in chains. He's in prison at Rome. And he's about to be able to share the gospel because he's been arrested as a Roman citizen. And now he's taking his case there. But he understood the life-saving truth. He knew that when things don't go the way we hope... Is because God and his goodness has other plans. In Christ, our thwarted plans are the beginning of something better. In the 1940s, as World War I, uh, World War II was engaging, part two of World War I, we've got a rationing system going on in America. And rubber was being rationed because they needed it for the, the military and needed it for the war effort. And so... Chemists and engineers and researchers and developers and scientists were trying to find and create an alternative for rubber. And so there's a debate on who started it, who created it. But ultimately, they created this material that was amazing. It had so many characteristics. Unfortunately, it didn't have enough to be used for military use. But in 1949, a gentleman named Peter Hodgkin found Hodgson, Hodgson. I'll get that out in 20 minutes. Mr. Hodgson found this material, found this putty, and thought, man, I can do something with this. This would make a great toy. Military application, toy. Okay. And so he bought this stuff, paid 147 bucks, and got the patent and put it in an egg. Charged a buck, a buck in 1949. That's a lot of money. And in this egg is something magical. What is it? A silly putty. And for those of you who were born after 1976, I feel sorry for you. Because this stuff is awesome. I thought about having someone come up and step on it. But then I thought, no, then it gets in the carpet. Then I got to clean it. And I'll get in trouble. And I don't want to do that. But I do the next best thing. A raw newspaper. So we're going to test and see if Silly Putty still does what it used to do. Or if the newspaper has changed enough that the print is better than it should be. But what's going to happen? What's the goal? It's going to transfer onto here, right? So right here is Point Bank. And there's an American flag and a Texas flag. Let's see what happens. 
This is called entertainment for those who have phones, okay? <laughs> we led a sad existence. Feel sorry for us. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> but it worked. So this guy spent 147 bucks and bought Silly Putty as a toy. Before he passed away, he sold the rights to Crayola. In 2005, Crayola announced they average 6 million eggs in sales every year. Was not its intended purpose, but what a lot of fun. Apparently $6 million worth of fun, but a lot of fun. So whenever you're sitting there looking at life, thinking this is the direction, this is what I want to do, this is where I want to go. If God makes you pivot, there may be a reason. In fact, if Paul hadn't pivoted, Philippi may have not heard the gospel. Paul was wanting to go to Asia. And if Asia wasn't plan A, plan B was Bithynia. But they weren't, according to Acts, allowed to preach in Asia and Bithynia was closed. So while they're in this stall pattern, this holding pattern, Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man asking for help. What's the capital of Macedonia? Philippi. So what does Paul do? He pivots and he follows God's call and goes to Philippi. So sometimes what we want, no matter how noble or good, sometimes that's the most worst, the most worst thing we could ask for or God could give us. Paul, writing to this church who he's had a connection with for years, says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is telling him God's going to finish what he starts. How can we know God started a work? Look at their evidence. Philippi is not a church that just believes in God. They're living disciples. They've partnered with Paul from the beginning. They saw something in him when he established that church and they've been partnered with him financially. They've been partnered with him in the mission of spreading the gospel and defending the gospel. They've partnered with him in doing ministry. They are very dear to his heart because they're doing what God has called them to do the way God called them to do it. And so he is telling them that this work will continue until it is fulfilled. It's a source of joy to Paul. Now, is Paul's confidence in the people? No. Is the confidence in himself? No, he's in prison. He can't even freely preach right now. Paul's confidence is in God. The one who began the good work in them. The one who will continue to perfect his work until the great day of Jesus Christ. And then when the Lord calls his people to himself. That's where Paul's confidence in. In fact, Paul sees it from this perspective. And this is from Warren Wiersbe. Paul sees that God does the work for us in salvation. It's the work that God does in us, which is sanctification. But it's also, and finally, the work that God does through us in our service. So salvation, we know that, that we talked about last week and we've talked about many times. You and I are not good. Scripture is very clear. You and I cannot earn a way into heaven. We can't buy our way into heaven. The only way we enter into heaven is coming to God through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice. But it's not just a salvation plan. It's not just ABC, admit, believe, confess, and you're done. We have to commit to the life. Because when we we pray the prayer to accept Jesus as Savior, we're also saying we will make him 
Lord. And so in that process of salvation, we've done that as a church. We've talked about it. We live it. We try to teach it and preach it. And we move forward with that way. So we're working on that together, right? This means I'm still awake. This means I'm praying or sleeping. All right. If you snore, that's speaking in tongues for some churches. I said it. Sanctification. That's what God does in us. He makes us pure. We do not make it ourselves. God does that in us. But then he calls us to serve. What does service look like? Well, sometimes it's doing things inside the church. So for the third time in about eight weeks, we had 12 to 15 people here yesterday for just a few hours. But we've been cleaning and organizing, setting some foundational pieces to the campus so that we can become more user-friendly to our community so that we can be prepared to move forward and engaging our community and use this campus as a place where the gospel can be heard. We have an opportunity this summer. We're going to have several groups coming onto our campus that are numbering in the hundreds. In fact, we have one coming up that's from our local school system. And they're going to use our campus. And as I was meeting with them, in fact, I have another meeting with them this week. I said, so when they get on campus, am I going to have an opportunity to welcome here? And I said, yes, you can have an opportunity to welcome them here. Thank you. Do I have an opportunity to invite them to be a part of our church? Yes. Do you have an opportunity to invite them to be a part of your church? I said, do I have an opportunity to present the gospel? And they smiled for a second. Paused. Your church, your rules. So when? We get to share the gospel with hundreds of people this, this summer that are part of our school system. Freely. Unashamedly. And while they're on our campus, we set up some of the foundational pieces. While yesterday, some of us may have felt like, this is crazy. I mean, we had at least six people with pledge and a rag. Polishing doors. How does that lead anybody to Jesus? If we're keeping our stuff in order, keeping our stuff clean, keeping our stuff organized and operational, it makes us more effective. We're not just cleaning the outside of the cup. We're trying to prepare our hearts. We're trying to prepare the campus. We're doing it holistically. So yesterday may have been service that was really some cleaning up, some organizing. But do you realize that over this summer, over 80 people have been involved in small group discipleship above and beyond Sunday mornings? They're working on their hearts. Do you know that we've had groups serving all over the country this summer? We're not just cleaning the outside of the cup. We're not just doing the little things that make it look better, be more comfortable. We're doing the spiritual things that we're supposed to be doing and living out the disciplines to be closer to God and more like Christ. And so that's what Paul is rejoicing. That is what Paul is celebrating. Our church is moving forward, living this out. Verses 7 and 8, he talks about how he holds them close to his heart. Now, it's possible to have people on your mind and you think affectionately of them, but to have them on your heart, in your heart, that sincere God love for the church is not something that can be disguised or hidden. In fact, the church at Philippi is sharing in God's ministry, in Paul's ministry. And like I said, whether he was free to preach or trapped in a, in a prison, they are there sending him love and support. They have still partnered with him. They are, they are there when others have walked away and left him. I mean, it's great. We're with Paul. Oh, Paul got in trouble? He shouldn't have done that. I don't want to be associated with him anymore. 
If we're not careful, we can let those little things get in our way. We can let, I don't like how they did that. I don't like how they said that. I don't like this. I don't like, we can let that get in our way of being the bride of Christ. Are we always going to agree on everything? Man, I hope not because I'm not a right a hundred percent of the time. So if you agree with me a hundred percent of the time, we are in deep trouble. At the same time, none of us are right a hundred percent of the time. We need each other to be the bride of Christ together so that we can hear truth, not only from the word of God, but from one another. And if we disagree, let's do it in a godly Christ-like way. One of the greatest blessings I believe this church received was a flood Christmas Eve last year. Cost us a million two. That's American dollars. I've never seen a million two in my life. But that day we had a decision to make at 3.30 in the afternoon. Are we going to let this stop us from being the people of God? Are we going to be the church and get down to the other end of the building and worship the birth of our Savior? And what did this church choose? We got our stuff together. We got to the other end and we let God be God in that moment in our lives. We didn't let stuff get in the way. Did some of you have a right to be upset and frustrated and angry with your church or with your staff or with this person or that person? Yes. But what did you do? We set it aside. We became the church God wanted us to be for that moment and we did the things we needed to do. Put our stuff down and followed him. And so when Paul was talking about, I have you in my heart, the church at first, Louisville showed each other and the world. We have each other in our heart. We may have disagreements. Heck, Thanksgiving, you may throw the turkey across the room. That's fine. As long as you don't mess with the pumpkin pie, we're good. That's fine. But we move forward in the name of Christ. So this is not something they talk about. It's something they're living out. It's something that we are now currently living out. Paul longed for these friends in the love of Jesus Christ. And it's not because Paul's love was channeled through Christ. It's because Christ was channeling his love through Paul. Again, it comes back to, and I don't mean this ugly, it's not about us. We have to be willing to be open to God so that God can live in and through us to one another. Because if people cannot see Christ in us, then what's the difference? Verses 9 through 11, Paul wraps this this section up with this. I have you in my prayers. Verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. He found joy in the church at Philippi and his growing love for them. He found joy in praying with them and for them. Perhaps the deepest fellowship and joy we can experience together is praying with and for one another. Some of the sweetest moments I've had in my 16 years at this church is praying with you guys. It may be small snippets. It may be, well, that wasn't much. That's huge. When we are going to the Father in prayer, intimately with him, that knits our hearts together. We're in communion with the creator of the universe together. That's huge. And so in the days ahead, you're going to hear some, some stuff coming from your staff, from your lay leadership, that we want to move forward on some, some ideas and some things to where we are spending time together praying, even if it's just a few minutes a day. But two or three of us gather together praying wherever you're at. 
You may be driving to work. Well, but we got to pray at this time. Then, wow, the beauty of a cell phone and speakerphone. And we just spend some moments praying for one another, with one another, for the church, for the community. And if we do this together, we take another step forward in our spiritual disciplines of being a Christ follower. And so Paul's doing this with them, and he's praying for them a prayer of maturity. He's praying that they might experience abounding love and a discerning love. He also is praying that they may have a Christ-like character. See, he wants to see the Philippians believer overflowing with the results of a Christ-filled life. They're generous, they're giving, but he wants a greater blessing with them. He wants them to understand the depth of a relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want them just doing church activities. He doesn't want them just showing up. He doesn't want them doing anything with the word just in it. He wants them to open themselves up to the bride of Christ and be the church. And that's what he's praying for them to do. Because he wraps it up in verse 11 by saying the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The difference between righteousness and religious activity is that righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. And it's for the glory and praise of God. Anything we do in our own strength, no matter how noble, how good, if God is not pushing us to that, we are not obeying God. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been guilty of that. It's noble. It's, it's right. It's good. It's, did God ordain that? Did God tell you to do that? No. Then wrong. Not the moment. Not the time. Maybe not the place. I might not be the person. But no matter what I do, if I'm doing it outside of God, then I'm outside of God. Do we get that part? If God's at work, we've got to find where he's at and get in with him. He doesn't, he doesn't meet us where we're at except through salvation. Once we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, it's our job to get into his will. Which means submit. means yield our decisions, our opinions, and our ideas. I've served with many of you people in different committees. And there are several committees that consciously said, in fact, there was one committee that stated it the best. When you come into this room and we're about to do this work, I need you to put your opinion and your mindset at the door. And I need you to be focused on what is Jesus showing us? What is Jesus calling us to do? And there was one night that I was sitting between the co-chairs and it was a night where everybody was stating their opinion as fact. And I was, I was getting a little squirmish because it was really making me uncomfortable because we were not practicing what we said we were going to practice. And it was really making me uncomfortable. And I didn't know how to say anything without sounding like a stinker or sounding like I'm doing something stupid like I do at dinner theater and just being mean and crazy. But one of the chairs just said, guys, we need to stop. And then someone else piped in, can I, can I share something real quick? And one of the committee members said, I don't think we've left our opinions at the door tonight. I don't think we're letting God be in control at the moment. I think we're trying to take control in the name of God. And we had to stop for a minute. And we spent a minute in just silent prayer. Got done and moved forward. And guess what? The meeting was completely different after that. Because we were yielding ourselves back to God. And we quit stating our opinions and our thoughts as fact. 
So when we are willing to faithfully and seek God, faithfully seek God consistently through his word, understand if you're willing to do that, it will become a place where you can become uncomfortable. If you're willing to keep growing in the knowledge of God's word and follow no matter where it leads, it's a place that may take you to a place of being uncomfortable. And the more I thought about this point right here, if God is, is showing me through his word and I am, I am trying to submit to him in every place it's going to take me, is going to take me somewhere uncomfortable. You know what? That makes total sense once you stop and really think about it. No, I'm not someone who loves punishment. But if I am truly using the word of God and following what God has shown me, the word of God shows me that Jesus Christ and God are holy and righteous. And the reflection I get from the word of God about myself is Wayne is not. The reflection each of us should get is I'm not. I am not holy. I am not righteous. Therefore, the word of God should hurt. The word of God should make you uncomfortable. The word of God should be Something that is going to be a place of discomfort at times because it is showing us sin in our life that we need to let go of. So that we can step back into that relationship with Christ where it's supposed to be. So going forward, there have been probably 14 to 16 people that have been praying for the last eight weeks. And we're praying for what lies ahead for our church. The deacons are praying about it and they are making some decisions about how they're going to lead in the future and how they're going to be organized in the future. We have committees that are praying about how they're going to work and how they're going to be organized in the future. Our leadership council is is helping direct those committees on how they can be more effective for the church. Not so that we can be more effective and be a better organized church, but how can we be more effective for Christ? And they're taking those steps. They're having a hard look at themselves, a hard look at how they do things. Are we honoring God in these things? I mean, this church made a decision to add a committee to all things. That's a properties and grounds committee. And if this is going to be a a campus that's equipping people, they're needed. And they're actively pursuing that. And that's things that we're still discussing. And that's some things that we're still going to have to make some decisions on as a church. But the thing that we're also working on is where do we go from here? If we want to become the people that God's called us to be, to spiritually grow in depth with God, what does that look like? And here's where we're at. We want to create these opportunities. And these opportunities have to be multifaceted. They have to meet people where they're at. But also we have to start holding each other accountable to picking something and getting engaged, right? So the goal for our church, especially in the area of discipleship, is this. We want to make sure we provide an opportunity for everyone who we come in contact with has an opportunity to establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we can bring people to understand who Jesus Christ really is and give them a biblical foundation that is not our opinion, that's a win. As we move from there, we need to provide an opportunity for our believers to be equipped to become disciples of God. It's great that we have believers. Thousands of people believed in Jesus. Thousands of people followed him. 
But when it comes to his ascension to heaven, when it comes to him sending the Holy Spirit, you're only talking about a a few hundred that were truly disciples at that time. I mean, there's only 12 disciples at Christ's ascension. And that's the plan. The people are going to spread the word of God. That's the plan. You and I are the plan. So if we're going to be that plan, we need to make sure that we're equipped to be disciples. And once you're equipped to be disciples, we need to provide the opportunities to empower you to go be a disciple-making disciple. Well, Wayne, I don't, man, I barely understand the word of God. Join the club. I've got two degrees and I still have a hard time doing it. I mean, I can go to Second Kings and look it up. Second Kings and Elijah's walking along and a bunch of men run out of the to town and look at him and say, oh, you bald head, oh, you bald head. And a mother bear runs out, kills 42 of them and goes back into the woods. God, what do you do with that? Do I, I can't make fun of bald people. I mean, what does that even mean? And God's not giving me that answer yet. And I have bought commentary after commentary. And you know what the commentary people leave out? Those two verses. Nobody wants to touch it. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. Don't make fun of bald prophets or 42 people will die. I mean, that's what I got. I I don't understand it. Now, I, I pick at that, but the idea there, honestly, the biblical idea is God puts people in leadership and we're supposed to hold them not only accountable, but in high esteem. Respect their position that God's placed them in. I get it. I'm, I'm poking a little bit. But you get what I'm saying? I mean, I've grown up in this faith. Why is it that we sing the first, second, and the last verse out of the hymnal? First verse is God the Father. Second verse is God the Son. Third verse is God the Holy Spirit. We seem to skip over that, but we stand on the last verse, and it's our response to God. Unless we're singing Standing on the Promises or Marching to Zion, we stay seated. Troy doesn't do that, but every other Baptist church does that. Or we sing contemporary songs where it's 12 words, four verses, and we sing it 84 times, right? I can poke both sides. I mean, it's fun. Why? Do y'all ever go to one of those shotgun churches where it's a long shotgun? There's these big wood beams and there's wood, wood rafters and you see all that? You see that? You know that? Y'all know what I'm talking. Has the strawberry blonde Jesus with the, the little placards on the sides that says Sunday school with the attendance and offering with the attendance. You know what I'm saying, right? Got the flags on the stage because, you know, we're good Christian Americans. Why is the roof exposed? Why do you see the wood rafters? Why do you see the big beams? Nobody explained that to me until I'm sitting in an Episcopal school and the Episcopal pastor goes, you know what the wood beams are for in the wood rafters? I said, no. I said, it's the bottom of a boat. We're supposed to go be fishers of men. That would have been cool to know as a kid. That would have been nice to know. That's kind of cool. It's the bottom of a boat. We're supposed to be fishers of men. That's amazing. We've got to empower, equip our people, empower our people. And while I'm poking fun on some of our practices, maybe you are a disciple, but you don't feel like you've been empowered to go and do something. I get it. I've been here long enough that I'm part of the problem. That we've not always given you the power to go. Hey, I've got, a, I've got an idea. What is it? I want to do this. Oh, well, we, no. Those days have to stop. If God is calling you to do something, then we need to look at it. 
Now, I referred to this before, but our care ministry is huge. We have divorce care, which our people are going through a horrible time. I mean, my gosh. God brings something together, two people to become one, and they've been ripped apart. And so we have this ministry that allows them to find a place of restoration. Grief share. Take it even worse. Not, you've lost someone to death. I mean, it's permanent on this side. That grief is deep and it doesn't go away. It may scab over. It, it, it may be a, a spot that softens with time. The pain is still there. So we have this grief share ministry where people come together and, and, and they talk about this and they walk through this and they're presented Christ. Oasis, our, all, our Alzheimer, our memory care opportunities on Thursdays and even on Fridays where we let caregivers have a time just to be together to talk about their struggles. Those were not started by a pastor of this church. Those were started by people in our church who were disciples who felt or were empowered to go and do. This church has got staff members on staff in our history that were members of our church living a normal life in the world's eyes, doing a day day job. And God called them into ministry. And this church was willing to do something out of character for some churches and allow church members to come in and be part of staff and be a leader in the church to move forward in ministry. We have to continue to empower our people. And finally, if we have done our job by empowering you to become disciple-making disciples, you can engage your community. And if you're engaging your community, then you have opportunities for those people you come in contact with to establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that is the disciple-making pattern that Jesus Christ gave us as an example. Is it easy? If it was, the place would be packed and we'd have multiple campuses. I mean, it's not easy. It's hard. But when you're sharing Jesus Christ with someone and they say, no, thank you, they're not rejecting you. Who are they rejecting? Jesus Christ. So my prayer for us, my prayer for you is in the days ahead as we start providing more opportunities for you to be equipped. I ask you, please jump into a small group. Discipleship is not about you studying God's word to where you know so much and you're so proficient that you're brilliant. Small group discipleship should be where you're spending time in prayer together. You're studying God's word together. You're praying over one another. You're serving together. You're living life together. Several of our classes in Bible study on Sunday mornings are doing that. I teach a group of young men. They're 70 plus. They act like they're 15. They're fun. They're the boys. But I hear that they are living life together every week. When we start sharing prayer requests, they're talking about how they went and sat and lived with them for that day or did this over the course of multiple days. They are doing life together and being the disciples God's called them to be. So my challenge for you is this. If you're not engaged in a small group this fall, we'll have them. We'll kick off in August, and I challenge you to be a part of it. Well, Wayne, I'm too busy. 
Okay, you're going to go there, I'm going to go there. If you're too busy for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of the entire universe, who sent his son to die for you and I so that we could be restored to him, then you're too busy. This is our first call. It's easy for me to say, I get paid to say it. I get it. But this is our first call. To Christ and to one another. So my prayer is this, that we will strive to do this so that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my church. It is an honor and a privilege to be a part of this family. Father, we thank you for the struggles, the challenges, the highs, the lows. We thank you that we can do life together. I pray, Father, in the days ahead that we truly seek to walk deeper with you. That we seek to become the people you're calling us to be. That we become unquenchable in our desire to be a disciple. Father, hear our hearts cry. We just want you. So show us the way that we can establish a relationship with you that's deeper. Show us a way how we can be equipped to move from believer to disciple. Show us a way how we can empower one another to be disciple-making disciples. And Father, give us the courage to engage our community so they can hear you. We love you and thank you for this time. It's in your son's name. Amen. We have a few minutes where you can come forward. And if you need to establish a relationship with Christ, now is the time. If you're ready to take that next step of faith and move into a deeper walk with Christ, Julie and I will be down here to pray with you and walk you through next steps. If you're ready to do ministry in a way that you've never done it before and God's put something on your heart, let's talk. I know a few people on staff. We can probably get it done. I'm just saying. And if you're ready, our community needs us because they need Jesus desperately. So please stand with me and let's spend this time worshiping God with our response.